Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 252. Everyone spends fourth quarter being burned out by holidays and demands and culture and family and da 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 da. And then we wonder why in January we don't have the emotional and physical bandwidth to go follow through on all these huge plans. Like New Year's resolution should be set in April after spending first quarter getting your battery recharged. That's the voice of psychologist, therapist, trauma expert, author, speaker, science advocate, and science communicator, Britt Frank, who you may remember from her appearance on this show around this time last year in an episode about her book, The Science of Stuck. In that episode, we talked about her therapeutic approach and, as the title suggests, the science behind what gets people stuck and unstuck in life. I highly recommend that episode. It's number 230. It's definitely one of the overall audience favorites for the show. So I wanted to bring Britt back because, well, it's February. And I'm thinking that by now you must be feeling a bit overwhelmed. And I want you to know, based on the science, based on the evidence, if you only just now started working and answering emails like in earnest and eating properly... It just means you're a normal human being living in a really weird time. And everyone else around you, I promise, is slowly and begrudgingly starting to accept the fact that it's 2023. Yeah, it's 2023. COVID-19, the 19 was for 2019. So for many of us, there's an expectation to get back to work, to redefine work to get our lives back on track with this new year appearing, to put the pandemic behind us or something like that, and to make up for lost time. I'm not saying that's actually possible, but it is going to be an expectation. And so a lot more to-do list material has arrived in our lives recently, asking for our attention and our effort. And deadlines are multiplying and spreading across work and life, and family, and friends for many of us. So I suspect that right about now, you are starting to reap the rewards of your particular flavor of procrastination. Hum, hum, hum. 
Oscar Wilde once said, I never put off till tomorrow what I can do the day after. As Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, once said, you can't turn on creativity like a faucet. You have to be in the right mood. What mood is that? Last minute panic. And as Bill Watterson also said, a day can slip by when you're deliberately avoiding what you're supposed to do. And that's that's usually when we start to wonder what the hell is wrong with us, when we notice days have passed because we've been working really hard to not do the thing. It could be putting off laundry, putting off dishes, putting off emails, putting off work, putting off school, but it's putting off something. We all do it. But there are times in life when we do it to excess, when it causes real problems. That's what I want to talk about, how to get out of that. Pro is Latin, by the way, for four, and crass is Latin for tomorrow. So procrass is for tomorrow, and to procrastinate is to continuously put off things until tomorrow, and then tomorrow do that again and again and again. As Zay Frank once said, A good procrastination should feel like you're inserting lots and lots of commas into the sentence of your life. I've always wanted to do an episode about procrastination, but I um, never got around to it. Thirteen years ago, I made an animated short, a video, to promote the launch of You Are Not So Smart, the book. And the topic of that video was procrastination. Manifest itself within every aspect of your life. You wait until the last minute to buy Christmas presents. You put off seeing the dentist or getting that thing checked out by the doctor. Wow, 13 years ago. But I kept putting off doing an episode about this because I didn't want to just give you a bunch of descriptions of what this is. I wanted to give you some advice, some prescriptive advice from a scientist, from an expert about what to do when this gets on top of you, when it really starts to mess with your life. As Britt Frank puts it, procrastination is not a character flaw. Nor is it a sign of weakness, nor is it a sign of laziness. Procrastination is, quote, an indicator that internal consent has not been given. When our inner parts are distressed, afraid, sad, angry, grief-stricken, or anxious, it is important to listen to their concerns, not to shame them or coerce them into action, end quote. One of my favorite studies into procrastination by Dan Ariely involved students in three different classes, each one told that their entire grade would be based on how they did on three essays. Those essays had to be turned in, all three of them, by the 12th week, the last week of the class. But each class that was told this was given different options about deadlines. One class was told, turn them in whenever. Whenever you turn them in, fine with me. The second class was told, you must pick your own deadlines for essays one, two, and three, and you have to do that one week from today. They were told that on the first day of class. And a third class, they were just given deadlines by the professor. Essay one, fourth week. Essay two, eighth week. Essay three, twelfth week. So of these three classes... Which one do you think had the highest grades on average? Well, the best grades were earned by the class 
whose professor set the deadlines and enforced them. They procrastinated the least, or they spread their procrastination evenly. The second best grades? The students who had to pick their deadlines and lock them in in the first week. In that class, people tended to spread them out kind of evenly, but a large portion chose the very last day, or they chose deadlines they couldn't actually meet, and they pulled down the scores of everybody else. The worst grades? The class with no deadlines at all. Why? Because they procrastinated the most. Dan Ariely, writing about all this, said that he felt the findings suggested, quote, not everyone understands their tendency to procrastinate. And even those who do recognize their tendency to procrastinate may not understand their problem completely, end quote. But he also wrote, quote, Interestingly, these results suggest that although almost everyone has problems with procrastination, those who recognize and admit their weakness are in a better position to utilize available tools for pre-commitment and by doing so, help themselves overcome it. End quote. The research suggests if you fail to believe you will procrastinate or you become overly idealistic about how awesome you are at working hard and managing your time, you never develop a strategy for outmaneuvering your own weaknesses. And in a previous era, I think that would have been the big takeaway for an episode about procrastination. But thankfully, we have learned a whole lot since then, and we have people like Britt Frank, who work with clients to get out of loops generated by procrastination. So her advice takes it a lot further than these laboratory-derived suggestions to just get better at thinking about your own thinking. So what does therapist Britt Frank have to say about all this? Well, this is the segue into our interview. And I'm a licensed psychotherapist and human behavior expert and author of The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia. So this whole procrastination thing, that's sort of my my thing. And I'm a recovering disaster of a human. And I have done this work from both sides of the couch for a long, long time. So that's me in a nutshell. Procrastination. Like, what the, what is this thing? Like, it seems very human because it involves planning and metacognition and thinking about thinking and imagining yourself in a future world and prospection and all those things. I don't imagine like storks and trout (laughs) and uh, like slime molds procrastinate. So it feels almost like, yay, this is, this almost feels like in the world of free will and what makes us more than animals. But also, oh, this is this sucks because I'm not the person I want to be. And now I hate myself. And oh, look at you, you piece of shit for not doing what you're supposed to do. And all that starts coming in. So what is this thing? Well, I mean, just as a general overview. 
So we can get into the science of it. And I love that that's what we're here to do. But this whole everyone gives up on their resolutions thing is pragmatically, it makes sense. You've spent all of fourth quarter. Everyone spends fourth quarter being burned out by holidays and demands and culture and family and da 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 da. And then we wonder why in January we don't have the emotional and physical bandwidth to go follow through on all these huge plans. Like New Year's resolutions should be set in April after spending first quarter getting your battery recharged. Set New Year's resolutions in April and they're going to get done. Set them in June. January, your tank's empty. And then we're wondering, like, you don't need an advanced neuroscience degree to be like, <laughs> I wonder why January goals don't make it, you know, past the starting gate. It's because you're tired and you're burned out and seen. Okay. So the word procrastination is problematic because I really think the semantics, the, the language that we use to describe our dilemmas have a huge part in whether or not we're going to find mastery over them. So when you think of procrastination, you think of the person sitting on the couch and not doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. And they're lazy and they're unmotivated. And all of the research on procrastination by and large approaches it as a mindset issue. You know, and then we talk about metacognition and what's the nature of free will and thinking about thinking. And we can think our way into a lot of things, but you can't think your way out of procrastination because if you could, it would have worked by now. Procrastination is a physiological nervous system response. And if you go to the research, you're not going to see a whole lot about that because procrastination is funneled into the mindset world, not into the physiology of how we do and why we do what we do world. A nervous system stuck in freeze is what we call procrastination. A nervous system stuck in freeze isn't going to do a damn thing until you get it out of freeze. But we're not taught that that's what it is, nor are we taught how to do it. So procrastination is a physiological response. That doesn't make an excuse. That doesn't mean it's okay. And that doesn't mean we have to stay stuck there. But it does change the nature of the problem. If you're if you're not solving the right problem, and you're not going to get anywhere. So Procrastination is a physical problem, not a mental one. I think of physiology versus metacognition, thinky stuff as, as brain versus mind. Is that a, where you're at too? Mm -hmm. Okay. So like brain is this goop wiggling around in your skull that has all sorts of things that affect it, like, like your, the entire evolutionary history of our species, every input coming through the senses, every synthesis within there that you're not privy to, there's stuff happening that you don't get to experience that's not offered up to consciousness. Brain stuff, physical brain stuff. So like if I touch a stove, ow, mostly brain, then my thoughts of like, you're a piece of shit. What were you looking at that? Or whatever I'm thinking, or I shouldn't have done that. Uh, or, hey, I tell a story about it, or I laugh to myself. Like now we're getting more into mind stuff. Am I in the right space? Absolutely. And the, you know, when you burn your hand on a stove, you may yell at yourself for being dumb enough to touch the stove, but no one is wondering why your hand hurts. It's like hand out, stove hot. That makes sense. It's when we attach the narrative of why did it happen and how did this happen and what kind of a person am I that I burned my hand on the stove? It's like if you don't want to burn your hand on a stove, you learn stoves are hot and you don't touch them. It, it is that simple. And with procrastination, we get stuck in this mind loop of I wonder why and what does this mean about me as a person and where in my childhood did someone not hug me or listen to my problems? So now I'm stuck binge watching hour six of my thing. But if you know the physiology of it, you don't have to sit and swirl in the metacognition. Most people don't want to understand why they procrastinate. They just want to stop doing it. I'm a therapist. I love understanding, but insight doesn't get you moving. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that may be one of my biggest uh, flaws. It's like, I, I need to understand this if I'm going to accomplish anything. <laughs> uh, but the 
but yeah, the, like, uh, I don't necessarily need to understand how muscle uh, fibers uh, work for me to lift weights and, and, and get the benefits from it. So I hear you. Uh, I don't need to understand. I don't need a degree involved in anything uh, gastrological to reap the benefits of a better diet. So, okay. So let's think about the brain as a physiological organ body part made of stuff. And then mind is, is something that it does. Okay, this this helps a whole lot. And, and, and you've written about this in other places. And one of the things I love is you you come right out of the gate whenever you do write about this, saying that this is not a character flaw, and it's not a sign of weakness, and it's not a sign of laziness. That seems like a hot take. That can be something that I can feel people pushing back on. Uh, modern Western cultures are, especially the a lot of the United States Western cultures are just like, if I'm not working to the point that other people are like, wow, and if I'm not losing sleep because I'm so devoted to profits and I am really a poor example of being a person, what are your thoughts <laughs> on, on that stuff? Mm -hmm. People get so mad at me when I say that procrastination is not a lazy problem. It's like, are you saying, I don't know where people equated explanation with excuse. They're not synonymous. You know, understanding the physiology of procrastination is not me co-signing on it or saying that you should subscribe to it. Like they're just lazy. Okay. Well, let's go into the science. If I'm laying on the couch and my nervous system is shut down and I'm procrastinating. And then I say, I'm so lazy. I suck. I'm unmotivated. That will create more cortisol. That will create an amplified state of the thing that I am trying to break out of. So the whole, you're not lazy is not a, let me pat you on the head and give you a pass on not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's a physiological reality that when you beat the crap out of yourself, you create more stress hormones and more of the fear response that created the inertia in the first place. So laziness is not the explanation. And, but knowing that it's not laziness doesn't mean like, okay, just don't do things because it's a fear response. It's like knowing that your car is out of gas doesn't make it okay. Then you should just leave it. It means you need to get to the <laughs> gas station, like go fill it up. <laughs> I'm imagining that kind of person. <laughs> it's like, well, car's out of gas. I guess I'll, <laughs> yes. I'm done. And we, we do that. People do that every single day. Well, I guess it's just, this is where I'm at. I'm stuck. So I should just be this way. It's like, no, the gas station's right up the street. I'll yeah. help you push. Okay. The, wow. Wow. I'll help you push. That's so good. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to this brain versus mind thing. I find this illuminating and uh, empowering. First of all, just knowing that procrastination is, is a physiological thing is incredibly freeing. And you go in deeper detail saying that procrastination is what happens in your brain, receives a real or imagined threat. So the perception of threat has occurred possibly without your knowledge or your awareness. And then you receive the downstream effects of brain feels threatened. Uh, help me understand that a little bit. So we know that the nervous system has the the on and the off switch, the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, the gas pedal, the brake pedal. And so if we get threatened for any reason, inexplicably, subconsciously, physiologically, it does. this is the beautiful part about this work is you don't need to know why your brain's freaked out in order to get it moving. But you can get stuck in a sympathetic response, getting stuck on on, and that's when you're racing around and you have insomnia and your house gets really clean, but your email doesn't get sent. Or you can get stuck in the off direction, and that's what we call laziness or fatigue or lack of motivation or all those other things. But the physiology of the nervous system is it gets stuck on on or it gets stuck on 
off or it goes back and forth and rapidly switches between the two. And knowing that there's an on switch and an off switch are really important. You know, it's not just are you procrastinating? It's what direction are you procrastinating in? Are you stuck on up or are you stuck on down? Because either physiological state requires a different set of tools to help it get unstuck. Okay, I fully heard you. I did. I do understand. I don't actually have to know what has generated this, what my brain without my awareness has determined might possibly be a threat and is starting to encourage me to behave in a certain way. But I would like to know what are some examples that just come to mind immediately of things that could possibly generate this response? Sure. And sometimes it's as simple as I'm procrastinating going to the gym because going to the gym hurts and I don't want to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be code red super deep childhood trauma stuff. It's an energy conservation strategy to not do things. And we know that our brains prefer to conserve energy because that's what brains are designed to do, to seek out patterns, to find ways to go on autopilot and to keep us alive. And energy conservation is a physiological default. Doesn't mean we have to stay stuck there. But, you know, if your brain thinks it'll be easier to not do the thing, then it won't do the thing. And you have to program it and you have to train it that no, 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 like long term, it's better if we go this way because of these reasons. But again, you can sit there and analyze Well, I, my brain shouldn't feel unsafe. I don't know why I'm feeling unsafe. Why am I so freaked out? It could be energy conservation. It could be image preservation. If you get up and do things, people are going to expect more from you. And your relationships are all going to change. And that's going to be really threatening. It might be financial resources that you have to risk by getting up and launching the business. There are a lot of reasons that people benefit from inertia and from doing nothing, but no one wants to admit that. But again, the good news is it doesn't matter why your brain's scared. It can be scared for any number of reasons. It's cold. I don't want to get up at five in the morning and go for a run because cold is bad. Cold hurts. Hurt is bad. So, okay, we can train your brain out of that response. But if you don't know that it's a fear response and not a character flaw, you're not going to be able to in, like intervene in a successful, efficient way. When I'm doing that most of all, and usually it's going to, when I'm like, okay, I am going into bunker mode. Uh, I'm not uh, answering emails. I'm not doing things for a while. What gets me more locked into it is trying to figure out why am I doing this? Like what's, what caused this? Is this a trip? Was I triggered by something? What are these triggers? What is this thing that I haven't uh, worked on about myself? Uh, I often feel a strange form of, of nostalgia. It feels almost like wormholes are popping up inside of my conscious awareness, going back to previous times in my life where I've done this before. And I start remembering the emotional state and mindset of a younger version of myself or a more troubled version of myself. And then that starts making me feel like, okay, so you're going crazy now, right? Like that's what this is. Right? <laughs> then I'm, and then it starts to feel more threatening as you described. And I start to dig in deeper to bunker mode, which is procrastination where I'm like becoming really good at it. I'm becoming like matrix dodging emails, like bullets, like, like I'm great. Uh, then, and then I'm like, Oh no, now I'm developing a skill as a great procrastinator. And it starts to freak me out. The only way I, I, I have to like shove myself back into the world and just take it. And uh, there's probably a better way of doing it. And that's why partly why I want to talk to you about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, I just open the hatch on the side of my plane and jump in back into life. And I'm like, ah, and that's how I usually escape that loop. But 
probably not a good way to do it. There are so many gems in what you just said. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that point, no, that point, no, that point. But what you said about your brain left unchecked, left not in action is going to start associating. And if you're free associating from a procrastination state, like you said, you're going to free associate back to the last time it felt like this and what was going on there. And then this association thing creates loop. And the solution to those unchecked free associations is to find a, this is my little sticky thing. I call the micro. Yes. It's smaller than a small step. It's smaller than a baby step. It's the smallest possible step. You can say yes to where your nervous system isn't going to freak out on you. A micro. Yes. will stay out of freeze and then you can get moving, but yeah, free associating while you're procrastinating is never going to lead you somewhere. <laughs> good. <laughs> Should have talked to you sooner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At least, at least I noticed it. So, uh, uh, I give myself one one micro high five for noticing it. Um, and, and, and-, and now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns. And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, Time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. So you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring what you're up to, what you're doing, measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. 
you should be using NetSuite. Here's, here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week and you'll have all sorts of manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything and you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all, to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number. 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25? 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks. And drive down costs. And one. Because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases all these fallacies that I talk about on this program, it's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash not so smart. You get it for free. That's netsuite.com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. I never thought of procrastination as having these two modes. And I think that's super cool. Parasympathetic nervous system procrastination. We're going to say that's one of these modes. This is the brake pedal of your body. What does that mean? And what, how, does it, how does it usually manifest? And what are some ways out of that one? So you have a nerve in your head. The vagus nerve has gotten super trendy, which I think is absolutely hilarious that now it's all about biohack your vagus nerve and create vagal tones so you can stay out of parasite. It's very strange to me that that's now trendy. Nevertheless, there's a nerve in your head that when it's like danger for whatever reason, perceived, real, historical, whatever, it shuts you down and it puts you in a state of freeze. And there are really cool videos um, about opossums playing dead that you can look at when we're talking about this. And we say that they play dead. They're not actually playing dead. In the face of a threat, their bodies go completely limp and they look like they're dead. And if you went over and poked it, it looks dead, but it's not. That's their nervous system preparing them for a threat. Or if you've ever watched, this is like every shark week on Discovery Channel. Every time someone, I have a point here, I promise. Every time someone describes getting 
like bit by a shark, they all say the same thing. I felt the pressure. I felt the crunch, but it didn't hurt. It wasn't until I got to the shore that I realized what had happened. And that's called shock. And the shock response is a very extreme version of what we're talking about. Parasympathetic procrastination is like a very low level shock response. It's your body deploying all of those nummies so we don't move because getting bit by a shark hurts. I take great comfort in knowing that if that were to happen, the body shock system makes it so you don't feel it happening while it's happening. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're listening to this and you're like, I already finished Elden Ring and I'm playing this 150 hour video game for the second time. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and... I seemed, I got up with all these plans and then I, mm -hmm. but then I went and sat down and started playing this game. And then, then it's, then at some point I was like, well, it's too late to get started on anything, but it, or it could be a Netflix. You're like, I'm going to go ahead and watch that documentary everybody's talking about. And well, that wasn't long enough. I'm going to switch to, well, I'm going to rewatch parks and recreation um, and go through the whole thing. This feels like we're in, are we talking about something similar here? Yes. Although you could make a case for depending on what video game you're playing, that could be a sympathetic arousal state versus a parasympathetic shutdown state. But it's the same thing. But again, these narratives that we attach to these physiological states perpetuate the loop. So rather than saying, why am I doing this? I wonder what's contributing to this. I wonder why I'm triggered. That's not going to break this loop. Micro yeses break the loop. And they need to be micro yeses because most of the steps that we want to take are too big for our nervous system. It's like, I want to get up off the couch and go do a thing. My nervous system's going to go, no. All right, well, I want to go at least get off the couch and go get a snack. My nervous system might say, no. Like you have to find a micro yes and that breaks the loop. And then we can figure out the how and the why and the where and the who. Okay, so I want to break out of, if I remember correctly, I think it's called thanatosis whenever a, a possum does that thing. You you get that whole uh, structure in your, in your brain that you know, fight, flight, freeze all valuable tools handed to us down through the ages to survive really bad things. Okay. I'm in the freeze place. I'm in the thanatosis place. I'm in the parasympathetic breaks are being applied. I'm getting the nummies. What are some things I could possibly, what are some micro things I can do to like get the little yeses, get that momentum started up? And this is the other place where people really push back hard. And, you know, my defense is I didn't come up with the brain's design. So, you know, don't get mad at me. Sometimes a micro yes can be as simple as if you're sitting on the couch with your feet going one way, shift your orientation on the couch so your feet are going another way. Anytime you shake the snow globe of the brain up in any direction, in any way, it could be if you're wearing socks, take them off and then put your feet on the ground. It could be sort of just movement usually is the best way to intervene on a parasympathetic state of shutdown. Thinking won't ever do it. Sometimes thinking will work in the sympathetic state, but if you're in a parasympathetic shutdown, the most effective intervention is just move. Like even if you're just moving your head to the other side of the bed, that sometimes can be enough to break that particular loop. Move little bitty bits. And then jump on the couch. Do You know, that, that <laughs> might be too big. But like, yeah, if you jump up and down on the couch and people go, that sounds so stupid. I'm like, great. That's fine. You don't have to listen to me. Try it your way. See how well it works. And then we can talk after it doesn't. But movement is a very quick way to get things going. Things like cold. If you have a glass of ice water in front of you while you're, quote, procrastinating, take the ice and shove it down the back of your shirt because cold will help your system come out of that state of shutdown. Ironically, freezing cold breaks freeze in your nervous system, which is odd. 
we want to escalate hopefully i'm assuming to get to get on a bicycle and uh take a walk and things like really move like get out there and walk around and do things or am i going too fast too soon too fast too soon most people want to do that but they won't i had a guy i worked with and the first two months of our therapy it was cold i don't know if there's snow if you're listening to this but take off your shoes and stand outside barefoot in the snow and that's a really good starting place like this client we we weren't going to get into trauma we weren't going to get into how do you feel or what do you think it's hey bro you live in a body and your body is a biological organism and this person was so detached and in such a state of shutdown that their physiology she couldn't even register basic sensations, let alone emotions, let alone metacognitions. So we started by standing barefoot in the snow. I was not a happy camper, but that was a very successful intervention. And then from there, we were able to build onto the micro yes. Like James Clear would call these atomic habits. It's in the same zone. It's like the micro yes will get you to a small step and that small step will lead to a bigger leap. But everyone wants to go from start to, yay, I'm doing the thing I want to do. And that's just not how our physiology is designed. We're not wired to go from stuck to awesome. We need to go from stuck to point one and then that'll compound and then we can get moving. So, I mean, a micro yes is even smaller than a baby step because what people will label as a baby step, if you're not doing it, that's not because you suck. It's because that step is too big for your brain. And if you want to build capacity for larger steps, we can build what they call in the somatic world, your window of tolerance, but you can't increase your window of tolerance while you're stuck and locked in a freeze response. Order of operations, break through the freeze response, get moving, and then we can work on developing more capacity later. So the other mode is sympathetic uh, nervous system procrastination. I am sorry to the entire world that we name these things this way. Mode one, that's brakes. Mode two, this is gas pedal. How does this differ from the other thing? I, I, and again, it blows my mind that there are two kinds of procrastination. And this is the other side. This is the other kind. This is the kind when you really want to stop. You really want to be done and close your screen and not answer another email. Or like, I know that I've like, I'll go to the restroom after I answer this email. No, now this email. Now this email. Then it's, oh, crap. Like, now we have trouble. But it's when you're racing around and you can't, we call this insomnia. We call this ADHD. And a disclaimer, I'm not saying ADHD is not real. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take meds. Often a sympathetic arousal state will get mislabeled and misdiagnosed as ADHD, but always talk to your doctor first and I'm not here to diagnose you. But again, that's stuck in the up, stuck on the gas pedal requires a different set of tools. Or, I mean, the easiest way to understand this is if you've ever been angry at your partner and they tell you to calm down or to take a deep breath and you want to punch them, that's what we're talking about. You can't take a deep breath and calm yourself down when you're stuck on up. That's not what your brain wants to do. Your brain wants to go and run run and get the hell away from whatever it thinks is happening. And you can't deep breath your way through that. Sometimes you can, but not often. I dig this side of procrastination is something that I have done many times and I didn't think it was procrastination. This is working really hard at the thing that you're not supposed to be doing. You wrote, you called it productive procrastination. Mm -hmm. Like, like it feels like I'm, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not experiencing the shame of being not being on the couch, I'm not experiencing the shame of a, of not doing anything, but you are actively attempting to avoid the thing you ought to be doing and pushing it down the line. 
And I find that uh, really neat that we can trick ourselves so so effectively. What do you do to get out of this? This seems this seems way harder. Well, partially this one's harder because it's so commended. Look at you. You're working so hard. You're so productive. You can get all of the things done. So if you're not recognizing that, and again, if you're doing all of the things and it's coming at no personal cost to you, those are not the situations to which I refer. This is, I know I should go to sleep, but I'm still, I feel stuck on my computer. I feel like I can't power down. I feel like I can't leave. I feel like I just can't stop doing the thing. And I should really be eating or sleeping or humaning with other humans or or whatever. That's what we're talking about. And it, it's counterintuitive, but the solution to sympathetic procrastination is not to slow down because again, if you could, you would. It's not to take a breath. It's not to sit there and do box breathing or try to settle or take some big stretches. It's to make it faster. And this is an intervention I learned as a play therapist early in my career. When children are dysregulated, you're not going to tell a toddler to calm down. You're not going to tell a seven-year-old who is just buzzing around the room having the zoomies that like they just need to take a deep breath. What you do in those situations is you make it bigger. Like if someone is dysregulated, let's make it really in, in a safe, contained way. But like if you can't get off the computer, I'd be like, like, Air type as fast as you can. What we want to do is engage your physiology to know it's getting away. Like if we boil it down to what's happening on an animal level, your body is trying to get away from something. So if you go fast enough, this is where running in place is really useful. This is where pushing on a wall is really useful. If I'm with a tantruming kid, I'll match their intensity and stomp my feet as hard as I can with them because. Doing that actually gets that thing cycled through their body. That's not magically going to cure your insomnia. Just air type really fast for 30 seconds and you'll magically get eight hours of sleep. I'm not saying that. I am saying if you want to break the loop, make it bigger, make it faster. The same client that was standing out in the snow, we did a lot of planks and a lot of pushing on walls because when you get stuck on on, our intuition tells us to slow down. What we actually need to do is speed up. There's a work version of it too. I used to work in cubicle land and wow, you can come up with all sorts of ways to be busy that aren't the thing you, you are trying to avoid. And then working from homeland, oh yeah, like like uh, one of my go-tos is like, I really should research that a little deeper. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> really, research rabbit holes, yes. I really should go to learn everything there is to know about whistles. Where'd they come from? Like. <laughs> This feels very productive. I'll put that into a file and then look, look at all the work I did. It's the, it's the narrative in both directions that keeps us stuck in the, the off parasympathetic mode. The narrative that keeps you stuck is I'm lazy in the sympathetic mode. The narrative that keeps you stuck is look at me go. I'm awesome. So we have to uncouple these narratives from the physiology and just address the physiology. No wise, uh, no thinking required. So what about the, uh, this brings us to the big caveat question, shouldn't I wait? Like what I want is motivation. Like, shouldn't I be doing <laughs> what I desire is some way to get me to feel motivated or, mm -hmm. or I need someone to motivate me, or I need to engage in a behavior that will result in motivation for the other stuff that I'm concerned about. And motivation is the, is the secret sauce that I'm trying to find. And once I get it and drink it, everything's taken care of. What are your thoughts on motivation, Britt Frank? 
I have many thoughts on motivation. The biggest myth of motivation, thanks for that tea up. That was nice. So the biggest myth of motivation is that it's a mindset issue. But just like procrastination, motivation is physiological. Motivation is a state of your body doing and being and going. Motivation happens after you start doing the things, not before. Like, uh, and this whole motivation is secret sauce thing. What people don't realize is that once your brain feels safe and you get it out of fight, flight, freeze, a nervous system that's regulated doesn't need to seek motivation. It just is motivated. Your body is always motivated. It's either motivated to conserve energy and survive a lion attack, or it's motivated to do what you want it to do. So it's not like once I feel it, then I'll do it. That doesn't work. It's like start doing it and then you'll feel it. And then also to know that motivation, because it's an affect state, you don't need to feel like it to do it. Oh my God, if we all waited till we felt like doing things to do things, no one would do things because motivation is not the thing that comes before you do the things. Motivation is the feeling state that happens after you do the things. For people who are listening to this and they're like, okay, give me advice on how to get started. If you were to bullet point it or number it or just something simple, to just something to get people out the door today, metaphorically, what, what, is, what would you recommend? The actionable. I have a three-step formula. It's great. Here's the three, but no one wants to do it because it sounds too simple. So again, I would say, okay, do it your way and then try it this way. And then we'll talk the three steps to breaking through procrastination, regardless of your motivation state. Step one, don't ask why stop thinking. Just know that there's a reason why and you don't need to know what it is. So step one, don't ask why. Step two, ask what are three micro yeses available to me right now in this moment that I can do? Step three, pick one, do it, repeat. Again, I want to reiterate, there's a book that this person you're listening to wrote called The Science of Stuck, uh, which has more than, I mean, this is just, this is like a, a page and a half of the kind of stuff that's in there. So I really recommend it. I do feel empowered, so thanks. But also, I feel berated in a way, which which it helps. <laughs> it, it's just just like don't. I need to hear some don't do that. Is uh, that's how I function, and and which helps me be more open to do do these other things. I'm looking forward to the next stuff you you, you put out. If you're interested in listening to Brit Frank talk about things or write about things, what are some places where you're putting stuff outside of that book right now? So come find me on Instagram at Britt Frank or on my website, scienceofstuck.com. That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about, head to youarenotsosmart.com. There's a link in your show notes inside your podcast player. You'll also find a link to my book, How Minds Change, and to my new newsletter, Disambiguation. For more Brit Frank, go to scienceofstuck.com. Her book is The Science of Stuck. Her social media is usually B-R-I-T-T-F-R-A-N-K. For all the past episodes, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or youarenotsosmart.com. Follow me on Twitter at David McCraney. Follow the show at NotSmartBlog. We're also on Facebook. 
slash you are not so smart. And if you'd like to support this operation, help make it better, help pay for transcription and other features, go to patreon.com slash you are not so smart. Pitching in at any amount will get you the show ad free. But the higher amounts, that gets you posters and t-shirts and signed books and other stuff. The opening music, that is Clash by Caravan Palace. And please, if you really want to support the show, just tell everybody you know about it. If an episode really, really stuck with you in some way, that's the one to share. And check back in about two weeks for a fresh new episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.